Welcome to another great message by Pastor Adrian Wright, lead pastor at Anchor Church. We pray this message will encourage, inspire, and transform your life. Our heart is to share the hope of Jesus with our city and nation. And as we were watching this documentary on the city of New York, at one point, something really interesting came up as they spoke about how many people in the city of New York see a therapist and and need to go for counseling and need to work through the things that they're dealing with. Obviously, it's a major city with millions of people. And wherever you have millions of people together, you know, you're going to have millions of issues and millions of problems because that's life. That's what we deal with. That's what it looks like to be alive in this world. And so as these people go and, and see therapists, they did a study on what those therapists are hearing about most often in that city. Like, what are the complaints? What are the issues? What are the problems that people are speaking about with their therapists? And some of you may think that it would have to do with perhaps their career or, you know, trying to advance in 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 their jobs. Um, Perhaps you would assume that it would be relational issues, that people would have issues in their families or in their marriages. Perhaps you would think that it would be uh, family struggles or financial concerns. But actually, interestingly enough, the number one thing that people reported to their therapists as an issue in their lives was the level of noise in the city. (laughs) Just how noisy it is. Just how just how much sound they have to deal with, just how they're bombarded with the clutter of and the pollution of noise in their lives. And, and as they were saying that, as I watched it, I, I thought to myself, you know what, that is the strategy of the enemy if I've ever heard it before. I'm not talking about the noise of the city streets, but I'm talking about the noise of a world that is constantly shouting at us. A world that is constantly making demands of us. A world that is constantly trying to disciple us in its ways. A world that is constantly trying to tell us who we are and what we're supposed to be and what we're supposed to own and where we're supposed to go and what our lives are supposed to look like in order to have some significance in this life. In order to find our place in the world. The world's constantly shouting at us that we're not accepted that we're not loved, that we're not good enough, that, we're not, that we don't have enough, that we won't be happy until we have these things. And the strategy of the enemy is to have the sound of all of those demands and the, and the noise of this world be so loud that it drowns out the voice of God in your life. That you begin to incline your ear, which means to open up your ear, to pay attention to, to listen to, All the things that you're constantly being fed through our culture and through our society and through our world, as opposed to coming away. As God's Spirit calls us, come away with me. Sit with me. Let me speak to you. How often in your life do you take time out, perhaps before you walk out the front door, perhaps before you open up your emails? Perhaps before you answer that phone call or, 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 or go to your WhatsApp. Perhaps before you start scrolling through social media. Before you allow the world to clutter your mind and your heart and your soul with everything that it is putting on you and demanding of you. How about we come aside, we come away, and we sit with our Creator? How about we begin to incline our ear 
to God. You know, when God speaks to us, He speaks very deeply. He speaks very deeply. He speaks in a way where He doesn't have to shout. I mean, it resounds louder than anything else that you have ever heard. If you had to hear it in in the natural, it will blow your eardrums. But in your spirit, you hear it as a still, small voice. I love that about God. It's intimate and it's deep and it's eternal. The voice of God. Have you heard it? Do you hear it? There's a point where Elijah was sitting on the side of the mountain and he wanted to hear from God and and, and, and all of a sudden, a mighty rushing wind started to blow against the side of the mountain as it's bending the trees over with the violence of this wind and the violence of the sound. And he went out thinking, surely I will hear God's voice in the supernatural phenomenon of, of this mighty wind. And it says that God's voice was not in the wind. And then there was a fire that raged across the side of the mountain. And he thought that surely God's voice would be in the fire. And there was no voice of God in the fire. And then there was an earthquake, and he thought that surely God will speak through the earthquake. But God's, earth, God's voice was not in the earthquake. And then it says he heard a still, small voice. We spoke about that still, small voice that we read about in the book of Isaiah 30. And the Bible says that we will hear the voice of one behind us, our teacher, who says to us, this is the way, walk in it. So we really are asking God to lead us. And this morning, I hope that what we can do is through the scriptures, discover and, and, and develop a yearning for the voice of God in our lives. Amen? Come on, how many of you want to hear God's voice more clearly? How many of you want to pray and, and, and know that you can hear God's voice as He leads you? Because God has a plan. He has a strategy. He has a prophetic vision for your life. Something that he wants to do that was settled before the foundation of the world. Last week, we looked at Jeremiah and how God calls Jeremiah as a young man. And he says to him, he says, Jeremiah, what do you see? What do you see? What is your prophetic vision for your life? And Jeremiah answers that he sees an almond branch. This is, this is a picture of a season that's changing and God, the fruition of God's promise being fulfilled, God's word being fulfilled. I will watch over my word to perform it. But as I was thinking about that scripture this week, I realized that if Jeremiah wasn't able to first hear the voice of God, he would never even have heard the question, what do you see? You see, so sometimes in order to have vision, you first need to have hearing. You first need to be able to hear God's voice in the depths of your soul so that he can speak these deep and meaningful things to your life. We need to be able to hear God's voice. In the verses preceding that, in that verse in Jeremiah 1.5, preceding that moment when he asks Jeremiah, what do you see? He says this to Jeremiah. Jeremiah 1 verse 5, he says, before I formed you in the womb, before you were even put together, I knew you. David writes in, in Psalm 139 and he says, my unformed substance was before you. How incredible is that? 
We show up. We say, hey, God, this is what I want for my life. Here's my 10-year plan. Here's exactly what I want to do. Here's, I, I, please, will you let me just do this, go there, marry them, do, the, you know, all the plans that we have. We just got all the, this whole list, and God says, hey, 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 just take a moment. Just take a step back. I have a plan. I have a plan for your life. Something that I, I, I knew before I formed you in your mother's womb, before you were born, I set you apart, a plan for your life. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. So I want to tell you this morning that before you were even formed, you were called and set apart by God. And I believe that about our church as well. You know, there's many church models and many different approaches to church and philosophies of, of how church should be done or could be done. But, you know, at the end of the day, this is Jesus's church. An anchor church was not my idea. It, was not, it wasn't a human idea. It was an idea that God had from before the foundation of the world, and he just waited for all, all of us to come along so that that plan could come into fruition. I'm watching over my word to perform it. Spirit, lead us. What are your plans, Holy Spirit, for my life? What are your plans, Holy Spirit, for our church? He called us before we were even formed. And so when we hear the call of God, when you hear the voice of God, it's almost as if you don't turn to God, but you return to God. It's like it's not the first time you have heard this voice. There's something about that still small voice inside of us that resonates so deeply, it's almost like we don't even know where we're hearing it. I would even say that in my life, I don't even remember when I first heard it. It's more like a memory of a dream. Because it's so deep inside of me that when I hear God's voice resonating, when God speaks to me, when I step into God's plans and purposes for my life, it's like, I know this. This is a voice I recognize. This is a voice I've heard before. It's almost as if the first time I heard that voice, it wasn't in the limits of time. I heard it somewhere in eternity. My unformed substance heard that voice. Before I was formed in my mother's womb, something was spoken to me. So it's really not the voice of a stranger when we hear God's voice in our lives. It's really like hearing it again. I know this. This is what I was born for. This is what I was made for. It's why it resonates so deeply. The, the, the Bible says, Spirit cries out unto spirit. Deep cries out unto deep. God's spirit testifying to our spirits that we are children of God. This is something so much deeper than just a five-point plan that you wrote out on a note somewhere. God says, I formed you and I appointed you as a prophet. A prophetic vision for your life. Now, a prophet is somebody who hears God's voice and then shares what he has heard. This is what the Lord is saying. Speaks on behalf of God something that he has heard. Just as when Jesus walked this earth, he said, I don't do anything that I don't hear this, the Father telling me. And then he says, as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. He says, in that hour, don't worry about what you will say because it will be given you by the Holy Spirit. 
We literally become prophetic voices in a nation, in a city, in a moment of time, in a generation that gets to speak eternal things. That's the depth of God's plan for every single one of us. That's God's plan for our church, that we would be a mouthpiece through whom God would speak. And our prayer is that we would be an uncluttered channel through which the Holy Spirit can pour out His love on the nations, can preach the gospel to the lost, can declare hope to the hurting. Amen, church? Come on, everything we can get excited about in life, that's something to be excited about because it's eternal. That draws a line on the map. And it is a line that cannot and will not be removed. Prophets hear from God and then they declare what they have heard. What has God spoken over you as an eternal word? Paul writes to Timothy, he says, I want you to make war, Timothy, concerning the word or using the word that was spoken over you. You know why we need to make war? Because when you step up and step out and begin to walking in God's plan for your life, as you begin to, to be led by the Spirit, even as we saw last week in the journeys of Paul, what he suffered as a result, what came against him as a result, all the trials that he went through, as the enemy tried to put a stop to the plan of God in his life, the moment we step out, we begin to face resistance. And the enemy's plan is to get you either so distracted or so disillusioned that you no longer even hear the voice of God in your life. You no longer pursue his plans or your purposes for you. This is something that we've got to be committed to with all of our hearts. So much so that when the enemy raises up a counter-argument about what your life is about, we go to war with that argument. We don't stand for that argument. We stand on the finished work of the cross. This is what Jesus has saved me for. This is what, you know, the, the Bible says that there is a purpose for which Christ pursued us. And now we are able to pursue that purpose. He pursued us so that we can pursue purpose. Without that, we were all just wandering. We we're all just like wanderers in the wilderness, just drifting around. Like the people of Israel when they did not know their identity. Not knowing your identity leads to wandering. I'd go a step further and saying, you're wandering and you're wondering. What is my life about? I don't know. I'll just take the next turn. I'll just do the next thing. I'll just walk through the next door. There's no direction. There's no purpose. There's no identity. And what the enemy wants to do is he wants to bring your identity into question. This is why we need to know who we are in Jesus. And Paul writes to Timothy and he says, there was a word spoken over your life. Now you take that word as a sword. And when somebody raises or, or the enemy raises a counter argument, you wage war using the, prof the prophetic word that was spoken over you. My question to you this morning is, what has God spoken over you? What has he said about you? 
If you go through the scriptures, you'll see who you are in Christ. That you are loved. That you are redeemed. That you are the righteousness of God by your faith in Jesus. That He has called you. That He has purposed you. That He has a plan for you. Those are the things that we hold on to. Those are the things that we run with. If you forget it, write it down. Declare it over yourself every morning. This is who I am in Christ. And this is what my life is about. Lest we forget. Lest we become distracted by the demands of this world. In Psalm 119 verse 89, it says, Your word, Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. What God says about you stands firm in all of eternity. It trumps every other label that you have been given. What if people called you? My boys recently went to a camp, kind of like a felt school, bush camp, and they learned to do all kinds of things. And it was a lot of Afrikaans people. And my boys, Eli got the label Engelsman, you know. Classic Afrikaans label, you're an Englishman. But you know, we're not identified by our language. We're not identified by our race. We're not identified by our culture. Yes, those are parts of our lives and they're good parts in many ways. But our identity is that we are citizens of heaven. We are the ones called by God. We are citizens of the kingdom. And there's a purpose for us. There's a plan for us. Every other label that you have, we should remove. Jeremiah, when he received that call that we just spoke about, his first response to God saying, I consecrated you, I appointed you, you're going to be a prophet to the nations, is he looks to himself rather than looking to the provision of God, rather than looking and knowing who he is in God. And his first two things that he says is, I'm too young and I cannot speak. I'm too young to do this, God. I cannot be a prophet to the nations and I don't know how to speak. And God says to him, do not say. Do not repeat the enemy's lies about your life. Do not look at yourself in the mirror and say, I'm too young or I'm too old or I'm not good enough or, or I don't have enough or I lack in some way. Do not repeat the lies of the enemy over your life. God says, you will go where I tell you to go, and you will say what I tell you to say. And here's the kicker, I'm going to be with you. That's so refreshing to me because for a large part of my life, I believed that whatever success I was going to be able to achieve in life would be dependent on me, dependent on my abilities. And then when you fail, you can so easily be disillusioned, but God says, I don't want you to even look at yourself I want you to fix your eyes on me. I am the one who started this race with you. I'm the one who was the, was the author of your faith and I'm the one who will perfect it. The good work that I began in you, I'm the one who will complete it. There's a deep trust in Jesus as we begin to pursue his purpose for our lives. God goes as far as, as touching Jeremiah's mouth and saying to him, I have put my words in your mouth. How incredible. In that hour, you will be given what to say. I've got a message for you to share. 
There's a prophet that we read about in the Gospels, going from Jeremiah to John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is this wild man. I mean, he's, he's crazy. He, he just doesn't conform to the ways of the world. He just doesn't meet the standards of the religious elite. He, he just doesn't play the game. In fact, instead of living in the city, he lives out in the wilderness. He lives amongst the dust and the rocks and the caves and, and, and he, he, he wears strange clothing. He doesn't wear what everybody else is wearing. It's like he has a totally different perspective on life. Have you ever met people like that? It's incredibly refreshing. They're just not a, a part of the system. They're just not playing the game. And he doesn't eat what everybody else eats. You know, everybody else is, I don't know what they had back then. I assume hummus was involved. Did I say that correctly? Hummus, hummus. Flatbread. Dates, olives, all the good stuff. You know, what, you know what John the Baptist is doing? He's eating locusts. If he finds a bit of wild honey, he'll have some honey with his locusts. And I feel like there's something spiritually significant in that, in the fact that, that his sustenance was different. He wasn't being fed and sustained and carried on the same food that everybody else ate. It's like when Jesus sent his disciples out into a town to get some food and they came back and Jesus says, I've eaten. And they looked at each other and they thought, did somebody else bring him food? And, and he says, I have food you know not of. When he was tempted, he said to Satan, man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You see, there's a sustenance, there's a strength. If you're gonna walk in God's prophetic vision for your life, that is gonna come through the word of God as he speaks it to your life. It will give you more strength than the breakfast, any breakfast that you may eat that morning. It will do more for your health and your wholeness and your ability to run than any three-course meal that you could ever eat. I have a different kind of food. Are you eating okay? Or are you sitting here in a state of starvation? You know, as, as believers, it's good for us to come together and, and it's my job to feed you. I take that job seriously. It's the most important thing in my life is to answer God's call to feed His church. But you know, as you grow, you've, you've got to be able to feed yourself. We've got to be self-feeders. It's okay to feed a baby when it's little. But if you're feeding an adult the same way, something's wrong, right? If every time you get hungry, you drive to your mom's house so that your mom can give you a little bit of purity with a spoon something's wrong. Weird image. We've got to be able to feed on the word of God for our lives. It talks about John and uh, in the Gospels, in John 1 verse uh, 22 verse 23, 
It says, so they said to him, so these, these religious elite, they're completely confused by John the Baptist. And they go to him and they say to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? Oh man, I could preach a, a series on that question. What do you say about yourself? What is your identity as a person? You know, your identity is that thing that comes up out of you the moment you're under pressure. I've described it like this in the past. If somebody woke you up in the middle of the night and put a gun to your head and, and said, who are you? What is your response? What do you say about yourself? We normally think about what we do for a living. I'm an engineer. I'm an accountant. I'm a pastor. That's and sure, your identity, it might be mixed in there a little bit, but there's something so much deeper. What do you say about yourself? How does John the Baptist answer? He says, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. I'm a prophet of God. Isaiah spoke about me. God had a plan for me before I was even here. He, he foretold my coming. I am here and I am that voice of one crying out in the wilderness saying, make straight the way of the Lord. As the prophet Isaiah said. His identity was in what God's call for his life was. First and foremost, we are the ones whom Jesus loves. And secondly, we are the ones whom Jesus has sent. Amen? That's your identity. That's who you are. A voice crying in the wilderness. And I thought about the wilderness as I read that scripture. I thought the wilderness, it's a dry and a waterless place. Has anybody here ever visited the Middle East? I've been there once. And I remember getting off of the airplane in Abu Dhabi. And I wasn't prepared. It, I, I thought it's not, it wasn't quite, I think it was April. It wasn't quite summer yet in the Northern Hemisphere, and I thought, it's not going to be that hot. But when that airplane opened, I almost turned around to go and ask the pilot if I could just catch a ride home. And as I walked out, that sun, it was, I think it was 6 a.m. in the morning, and it was really over 40 degrees Celsius. That sun was like a ball in the sky. Like, it was just so obvious. It's, that's the sun. <laughs> and around me was nothingness. Besides for the airport, it's just flat and open. And, and I instantly, instantly, my respect for the people of Israel, more than quadrupled, I, it, it exponentially expanded as I was like, they walked around in this for 40 years. At one point, I thought to myself, I wanted to go to a, a, just a mall that was just across the way from the hotel. And it was a very short walk. I could see, I could see the mall. I walked out 10 meters, I turned around. No, it's not worth it. <laughs> Imagine walking around in it for 40 years. The wilderness is a dry and a waterless place. There is no rest in the wilderness. It's destitute of life. It's destitute of sustenance or of rest. And this is the place that John declares hope. He stands in the midst of the wilderness. He stands in this place that is destitute, in, in, in the middle of a parched land. 
in the midst of lost hope. And he is a voice crying out in the midst of that place. And what does he declare? What is his declaration that he makes? He says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. In many ways, our city is a desolate place. In many ways, our world is a place without rest. And we get to be the ones like John who have been called, who have heard God's voice, who get to stand in the midst of that dry and waterless place and declare, this is what God has for us. This is what God can do. This is what His grace has made available. In Mark 16, 15, Jesus said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to all of creation. Sometimes it's okay to be different. Some Christians think that we have to become like the world in order to reach the world, but all it's doing is it's making us less effective. Sometimes it's because we're different that people come to us and say, who are you? What do you have to say about yourself? And we look them in the eyes and say, we have a message for you. Do you see yourself in that way? We're the voice crying in the midst of a dry land. Listen to this verse. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. Ambassadors for Christ. Ambassadors are ones that are sent out to represent another land, another country, another kingdom. You're going on my behalf into a foreign land. And what are you going to declare? God making his appeal through us. We are the ones who have a prophetic voice in this city. Because God is speaking through us. And what is the message that he is declaring? What is he saying? What do we implore on behalf of Christ? Be reconciled to God. We're calling people. God has done everything necessary for you to be reunited in this beautiful and intimate and authentic relationship with God. He loves you. He created you. He has a purpose for you. He doesn't want you to walk around wondering about what you are and struggling with the same things and battling addiction and just just struggling to get out of bed every morning. That is not God's vision or plan for your life. Hey, be reconciled with God. Go back to your creator. The word repentance in the Old Testament was the word teshuva, which means let's return. Let's go back to that voice we heard before we were formed. And this is not a turning around that's like an irritated, oh man, it's like when you forget, your, you forget something at home, you're, you, know, you walk out to the car and you realize your keys are inside or you're driving along and you've left something back home and you have to turn around to go and get it. That's, that's not the kind of return. This is talking about a joyful return. This is talking about the kind of return that a soldier experiences when they get a letter from their commander saying that the war is over and you get to go home. You get to go back to everything that you love. You get to go and build the life that you deserve. You get to go and walk in the purposes of God for your life. That's what you get to do. You get to go home. So we stand in a city and we say, wandering people, lost people, hurting people. It doesn't have to be this way. We implore on behalf of Christ, be reconciled with your creator because he has more for your life. Come home. Come home. 
Your call is so much more than just attending church on a Sunday. It's so much more than just dropping a few rands into an offering box. We've got to be awakened to that voice we heard before the foundation of the earth. There's this intimate connection to eternity that the things we do on earth connect to heaven. Do you know that what you do on earth connects to heaven when they are eternal things? I I don't think my lunch this afternoon is going to connect to heaven unless it's communion. So obviously not everything connects to heaven, but there are certain things that connect to heaven. Things of eternal value that resound in heaven. This intimate connection that we have with eternity. Ecclesiastes says God has set eternity in our hearts. And I think that this is why people go. And and sometimes I I remember walking under a bridge when I was younger to go and visit a friend. And somebody had spray painted beneath the bridge. John was here. And I just thought, who cares? I was here as well. I didn't need to put it on the wall. But sometimes we want our names on trophies. We want our names recorded in history books. Some of us have thought about maybe breaking a Guinness World Record. Why? Just so that our name would be recorded somewhere. You know why? We all have the desire to live forever. Eternity has been set in our hearts. There was a thief hanging on the cross next to Jesus. And he looked over at Jesus and and he realized he had not lived a life of eternal value. He had squandered his life. And he looked over at Jesus and he just said one thing. He said, Jesus, when you get to your kingdom, when he recognized Jesus, he said, when you get to your kingdom, will you remember me? He just wanted to be remembered. And Jesus said, today, you will be with me in paradise. So when we recognize who Jesus is, the Bible says our names get written down in a place where it can never and will never be removed. The Lamb's book of life. You want to live forever? Write your name down in the Lamb's book of life. Put your trust in Jesus. And then you get to live a life of eternal value. I want to end by looking at just three, I think, or four things, four things that heaven knows. We encounter a man in Acts 10, verse 1 to 3. At Caesarea, it says, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion who was known as as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all of his household, gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly a vision of an angel of God, And this angel came in and said to him, Cornelius. The first thing that heaven knows is your name. When your faith is in Jesus, your name is not obscure. It won't be forgotten. It's not just another name. You are not just another number, but you are known by God. The angel shows up to this man who God has purposed. And this is even before Cornelius had heard the gospel. And and God had a purpose for his life. and, And he felt that purpose. 
He was pursuing that purpose. He was like, I don't know what I need to do, but I feel like my life is more than just being a Roman soldier, just doing whatever the empire demands of me, just going through the motions, just fighting these earthly battles. I feel like there's more for my life. It was stirring on the inside of him. And, and this angel appears and says, Cornelius, I know your name. I remember praying as a kid. I would pray in my room when the lights were out. I'd lie in bed and I'd pray. And I remember wondering if an angel was going to show up. Because I'd read it in the Bible so many times, you know. The angel showed up, the angel showed up, the angel. And I remember praying, God, please don't show me an angel yet. I don't think I'm ready. <laughs> it's a, it could be a terrifying sight. In the Old Testament, we see something Similar in the life of the prophet Samuel, when he was young, he served in the temple. And while he was sleeping one night, it tells us in 1 Samuel 3, 10, it says, The Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. So God knows your name. And he has called you by name. That's how personal it is. And when he speaks your name, you understand that's the same mouth, the same voice that spoke the galaxies into being. And he says your name. Have you heard God say your name? He knows you. He loves you. And our response is, speak, Lord. Speak, Lord, we're listening. We're surrendered. We're submitted. We're yours. We belong to you. You created us. What would you say? As a church, we're saying, speak, Lord. Lead us, Holy Spirit. What do you have for us? The sound of many rushing waters calls you by name. So heaven knows your name. The second thing, heaven hears your prayers. Heaven hears your prayers. Acts 10 verse 4 says, he stared at, them, at him in terror, at this angel, and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your arms have ascended as a memorial before God. How amazing is it that this man, in a desire to know God, is praying, even though he doesn't know who this God is yet. He's already praying, and that prayer, that sincere heart of faith, comes up as a reminder before the throne of God. How incredible that our prayers come before God, that any sincere prayer that is prayed is heard by Him. In John 5 verse 14, it says, this, this is the confidence that we have, that if we ask anything accordance with His will, according to His will, He hears us. If you desire to know God, to develop intimacy with Him, to grow closer to Him, then develop a culture of prayer in your life. You don't need a special reason you don't need a specific time or place. It's great to have those. I would recommend that you set some time aside purposefully and intentionally. But you know, this is more than that. This is you and God are just always talking. In the morning, in the evening, during the day, you're talking to Him. You're developing this relationship with Him. And that is how we develop the boldness to fulfill God's call on our lives. To follow in his purpose. In Acts 4, 29 to 31, it says, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant us your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. They didn't pray that the threats would go away, that the attacks would stop. They prayed for boldness. 
while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through your name, uh, through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. If you're saying, I don't know if I can fulfill God's plan for my life. I don't know if I have what it takes. Just begin to pray. The foundations that you stand on will be shaken. And that which cannot be shaken will remain. God will use you mightily. So God hears your prayers. Heaven hears your prayers. The third one, heaven sees your giving. Sees your generosity. Why does heaven see your generosity? Why does heaven see your giving? Why does God take note? Why did Jesus sit across from the, the, the coffer where, the, where the, the, the tithe was being given in the temple and, and watch people? Imagine if I did that on a Sunday. As you were giving, I just you know, switch off the lights, just put on all the house lights real quick. I just want to watch your giving. Why did Jesus watch an old widow give and comment on her faith? You know why? Because, because giving is an expression of worship. It's a declaration of trust. I don't trust in my money, God. I can give it all away. My hope is in you. As we give, we worship and the angel says to, to Cornelius, he says, your giving has come up. You, God can see you want to worship. It's created a memorial before God. Not just charity, but you're, you're, you're desiring to imitate God, becoming like Him, walking in love towards others, even as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us. This was a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And our giving, when done as worship, is the same. It's motivated by love. We get to live as that sacrifice. It's a beautiful thing. And as we do all of those things together, as we worship, as we give, as we pray, as we hear our names being called and we pursue, we pursue and are able to to. Lay a hold of the one thing that is important to God. What is the purpose of it all? It's to bring glory to Jesus. And it's to reach souls. It's about people. It's always about people. People are the currency of heaven. Jesus loved people. In fact, it tells us in Acts um, Sorry, in John 13, 3 to 5, it says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand, that he had come from God and was going back to God. Just You hear that voice. I've heard it again. I'm going back to my creator. He rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments. He took a towel and tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. When you know who you are, you will begin to serve others. And then the final thing begins to happen. The final thing begins to happen. Heaven rejoices with you. 
heaven rejoices with you. Acts 10, 44, 46, and 48 says, while Peter was still saying these things, he went to Cornelius' house, and when he was speaking about the gospel, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Cornelius' house became a house of revival. It became a place of outpouring. It became a, an, a space where people could turn to God. And as we as a church hear our names being called, say, yes, Lord, speak to us and lead us. As we, as we pray and as we worship and as we give, this will become a house of revival. God will do mighty things and people will begin to connect with their Savior. In Luke 15, verse 7, it says, Jesus says, Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Just one sinner comes to Christ and all of heaven rejoices. How beautiful. God's call is on us, church. His call is on us. I've said a lot this morning, and when I was writing this message, I almost felt like God said, this is not a message that people are going to hear practically. It's a message you're going to feel spiritually. I'm praying that God's voice in your life becomes like a small leak in the side of a ship. You know, in the beginning, it's just a small crack and a little bit of water coming through, just a little bit. But as the force of that water begins to build in your life, it tears a hole in the hull of the ship and floods the entire ship and immerses it in water. And I'm believing God for, for you for that this morning. That His voice will become like a raging torrent in your life. We'll hear it and we'll say, Speak, Lord. Your servants are listening.